Okay. Uh, welcome, everyone, to Wednesday Night Bible Study. Um, tonight we are going to be uh, Acts of the Apostles Part 10. We'll be dealing with Acts Chapter 12 and into Acts Chapter 13 if we finish it. If we don't, we'll pick it up next week. Um, as I said in the past, it's historical. You know, the book of Acts is historical. It's about the first 35, almost 40 years of the church. And this particular passage is a transition point in Acts. There's going to be a shift from Peter being the leader of the early church to Paul becomes the leader of the church. So this is kind of a transition point in our in our study, and this week and next week we'll see actually see how that that happens. So uh, let's just begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just give you honor and praise and glory. We thank you for this evening, for those that are here, those that are listening via podcast. Lord, we just thank you for this time, and uh, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide us into our discussion tonight as we look into the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, Lord, that uh, you guide us to conversation and uh, what we need to understand here and what we need to uh, 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 glean from this personally and corporately as a body of Christ. So, Father, in all of this, we just give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, just before we go into Acts chapter 12, I just want to remind you, uh, the Bible study is open to the public. You can come. Also, church service is open to the public. We have plenty of room to social distance, wear masks, and all that other good stuff. So on Sunday morning, if you want to come down and participate, you're more than welcome to do that. Okay, and if you need any, if you have any questions about that, you can always call me or email me, and I'll explain that decision to you and for you. Okay, just to kind of recap what Diego, where Diego finished last week, and I just also want to thank Diego for filling in for two weeks for me, and he did an excellent, uh, excellent job uh, with this particular uh, passage. So in Acts chapter 12, I'll be looking at verses 1 to 8. It says, Now about the time Herod, the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased also the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and roused him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. A couple of things here we need to remember is persecution continues in the church. Um, Christians were tolerated, but not always accepted. And so what I mean by that is, is that 
you know, Christianity was not an official religion. Uh, we were, uh, again, we were not, we don't become an official religion until about the year 325, I think it is, 324, when Constantine decrees now that Christianity is okay and commands everyone to be Christian. But up until that point, Christianity is, is, uh, is tolerated, but not always accepted. And so we couldn't buy and sell land. We couldn't establish church buildings and stuff. So for the first couple hundred years, two and a half, 250 years or so, uh, so, 300 years of the church, you know, we, we were a house church. We were mobile. We were meeting in different, in different places. So it's like, you know, you could have five, ten years of, of peace, nobody bothered you, and then all of a sudden they could come through and they could just ransack your church and your, your house and drag you off to the Colosseum and throw you to the lions kind of thing. Uh, so persecution continues, and persecution continues to this day. So persecution is, has always been a marker of the, uh, of the church. And so also what you have not only is... This thing works. Not working for me. I think it needs to be charged. Um, persecution, persecution continues and James the brother of John is killed and Peter's arrested and he's held for public trial um, you know he's killed by Herod Agrippa who's the grandson of the Herod who was killing the, uh, the children uh, right before Jesus' birth so it's a Herodian empire it's, it's all of them. When you read of Herod, it's not the same Herod. There's actually four different Herods as we go through the Bible. Um, and he took it upon himself to break up the church. And one of the reasons is, is that Herod had to keep peace. Now, Herod was kind of like a governor over there. Rome was divided into four provinces, and you had four governors. And uh, at any time, if your area did not have peace and troops had to be sent in, uh, Caesar could get upset with you, and it's instead of thumbs up, it's thumbs down. You could be beheaded, you could be thrown in jail, whatever. And so uh, Herod had to keep peace. And so what he would do was he realized that as long as Christians weren't upsetting people, they were okay. But once we started preaching and once we started doing things, then all of a sudden what happens is uh, we become a target, kind of like we are today. You know, as, as long as we're quiet and we don't do anything, we're not a target. But once we go out and start preaching, once we start raising our voice, once we start becoming a force, then all of a sudden there's a problem. You know, and so he, Herod, Herod needs to keep peace for his own sake, so he decides to break up the church. And this is what he's doing by arresting Peter. And it's because what it does was when he arrests Peter... The Jews that are not, had not become Christian, they're happy about this because they want to go back to the old way. They want to keep it the way it was before this Jesus guy came along, messing things up for them. And uh, uh, so they were the official religion. So in a sense, he's pandering to them and giving them what they want because the idea is to keep peace. Okay? So he has Peter arrested and held for public trial. And he's going to be brought before the people almost the same way Jesus is because it's a time of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is the day before Passover. It's one of the seven feasts of Israel. And it's the same thing as Jesus. Jesus was betrayed on Passover night. Uh, and he was brought before the people on Passover because you remember, what would they do? 
they would let a prisoner go. And in Jesus' case, it was it was uh, either do you want Barabbas to, to be free or do you want this Jesus guy to be free? And they let the murderer go free and Jesus they uh, they put on the cross. And so he was probably going to do the same thing with Peter here. But supernaturally, uh, Peter is rescued. So any thoughts on that before we go to the next part? I'm good? Okay, so let me go here. verse 9 9 to 18 it says and he went out and continued to follow and did not know what was being done by the angel was real but thought he was seeing a vision and when he had passed the first and second guard they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. They went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from them. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all the Jewish, from which all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark, where they were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Hoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, You're out of your mind. And she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, It is an angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of prison, and he said, Report these things to James and the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what had, could have happened to Peter. So Peter is rescued supernaturally. In other words, God's action. Supernaturally, God is the one who's doing this. There's no room that it was someone else or somebody helped. Or, this is God. Angel appeared, uh, messenger, uh, you know, t- to help him uh, get out. But he doesn't even realize what's happening at first because when we first read there in uh, in verse 9, He's not sure if if he's if he's asleep and he's seeing this in a vision, you know, because it's all like I mean, think about it. You're in chains, and you're 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 laying down there in between two Roman guards, who are trained to keep you in your place, and now all of a sudden he's free, and and you know he's thinking, you know, am I am I dreaming this? Is this really happening, or am I imagining this? Is this a vision? But it obviously it is it is real. Uh, and so, the first thing he does, he goes to the uh, uh, where the disciples are, and uh, uh, you know they can't believe that it's him. Let's see, uh, verse sixteen. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison, and he said, "Report these things to James." And the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. The James here is the James of uh, who writes the letter James, 
who most likely was the brother of Jesus, who was in charge of the church in Jerusalem. So that's why he says, report to James. So in other words, he's saying, report to the leaders of, of the church what's happened here. That's who James is. It's a little difficult sometimes because there's a lot of Jameses, there's a lot of Peters, there's a lot of Paul, there's a couple of Barnabas, and you're not sure who they are. You kind of have to decipher it, go through there. But James and the Brethren, it's a reference to the church in Jerusalem. Now remember, the first churches in Jerusalem, the first church that's established, it's in Jerusalem. It's meeting in different homes. It's not all meeting at one place at one time, but James is the head of it. Okay? And James, by the way, will write the first epistle, the first letter to the church. And we'll get to that in a, in a, in a couple of weeks. Because I'm going to show you where, where the epistles were written during the time frame of what we're talking here about in the book of Acts. <clears throat> so he's going to write the first letter to the church, and it's about faith. Let's see. Now, think about the soldiers. Uh, they were in charge with guarding Peter, and all of a sudden their prized possession is gone. What do you think is going to happen to them? Bad career move, right? It's not going to turn out good good for them. So what happened in 19 to 23? And when Herod had searched for him, meaning Peter, and had not found him, he examined the guards in order that they be led away to execution, and he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. So he had the guards executed because they did not uh, do the right thing. You know, this is a hand of Rome, by the way. Um, Sometimes we don't always talk about Rome as much as maybe we could. Rome was not a very likable nation, especially when you had, you know, uh, Caesars like Nero, who were just horrible people. You know, they would they would kill you just as soon as uh, uh, not kill you. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, Life and death was a matter of sport. Uh, Nero used to. uh, It's a matter of recorded historical fact that uh, Nero used to uh, impale Christians uh, upon stakes and dip them in, in wax and turn them on fire. And he would light his colonnade where he would walk with those dead bodies on the on the thing. I mean, this is this is just horrible stuff. And uh, uh, But this is Rome, and this is why the Jews, to their understanding, you know, they were beholding to Rome, but they didn't want to be under Roman authority because they knew that Rome could do anything they wanted to do with them at any given time. So that's why when Messiah came, a lot of them were hoping, you know, that's why the the disciples said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, what they were saying, Jesus, as at this time, are we now going to defeat Rome and we're going to be back in charge of our own, our, 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 our own, uh, our own lives here? That's what a lot of them wanted and they thought Messiah was going to do. They just didn't realize it was a first coming and a second coming, because that's what happens with the second coming. He overthrows an empire that is just as horrible as as Rome. That's going to be during the time of the Antichrist and stuff like that. So any thoughts about that before I get to the next part where Herod takes it one step further? Uh, 
It says, Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. In other words, they were beholden to Rome uh, for for a lot of a lot of their welfare. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And I get the picture here. Herod's coming out in all his regalia, all his his glory, and he's sitting on a throne, in a sense, in front of the people. In verse 22, And the people kept crying out, The voice of a god and not of a man. Now think about that for a second. The people are saying the voice of God, not a man. They're now deifying him. They're now saying he is a god. And don't forget that one of the titles to Caesar, you know, Caesar, which is, which is, Caesar is a generic term for the leader of the Roman Empire. It can also be translated as king, but it's, it's Caesar. It's like Pharaoh. Pharaoh is, is, is a generic term for the leader of, of the Egyptian Empire, Pharaoh. Caesar had that same title, but they also had subtitles. And this one of the subtitles of Caesar was King of God, Son of God. And so think about it for a second, that these Romans now are, are, are placing themselves in a situation that they are now God, that they are now equal with God. You know, this is blasphemy. This is... This is, this is, you know, horrible against God. But they're placing themselves that way. And now here is Herod when the people are, are saying, oh, the voice of a God, not of a, not of a common man. You know, he's eating this up with two spoons. He's, he's allowing this to happen. You know, it's, it's one thing if somebody says to you that you're more than what you think you are. It's another thing if you say, yeah, you're right. You know, in humility, we would say what? No. Well, what, what happens to all the Christians and the, and the people when when when, uh, when people want to bow down to them? They say, "I'm just a man, just like you." You know that that that's humility. But there's no humility here in uh, in Herod because they were the ruling class and they saw themselves as above and beyond. Okay, verse 22 again. And the people kept crying out, "The voice of a god, not of." Amen. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. Yeah, boom. You can visualize this, you know. Uh, it's a good thing we're not having a potluck right now as we have Bible study, right? Uh, yeah, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a pretty death. But the point here is, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. In other words, he took God's glory on himself. Okay? Now, behold your thought there. Remember, when we did our study in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, and we're talking about the Antichrist. Uh, there's more than one Antichrist, by the way. An Antichrist is anyone that opposes Christ. We generally think there's one Antichrist. When we're talking about end time stuff, there will be that Antichrist. But along the way, there are plenty of Antichrists, those that want to put themselves in the place of God. 
Okay, that's antichrist. Or if you're against Christ, you're anti antichrist. So what does he do? He does basically almost the same thing that the antichrist will do in Revelation, where he goes into the temple and he claim, he proclaims himself to be God. And at that point, that starts the last three and a half years of nothing but war and calamity and famine and death and destruction, uh, which will now signal the uh, return of Christ. So here you have kind of a metaphor, kind of a, 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 a picture of someone uh, taking that, that, that role on for themselves, and here's the result. You know, uh, this is judgment. Again, you know, when we talk about... And I, when we did Acts chapter 5, we talked about this, Ananias and Sapphira, that people sometimes think, well, you know, who's going to judge the living and the dead? Jesus Christ. So there's not going to be any judgment until he comes back. Wrong. There's judgment now because the Holy Spirit is here now. The Holy Spirit is fully God, fully Christ. The same way Christ is fully God, fully Holy Spirit. So the point here is that judgment can come now. Because God is here, God is present. Emmanuel, God is with us. Uh, we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here, and so this is why He is judged right then and there. But it's also because He breaks the commandment: "You shall have no other gods." You know. So again, the beauty of Scripture is that it lines up. You know, it, it's it's not a, it's not a, a bunch of fragments of, of pieces that well. There's this story over here, and there's a story here, and there's a story here, and this story over here, and a story here, and one over here. And they're all good, but they're not connected. Except when you read the Bible, Alpha and Omega, it's all connected. Everything affirms something else that affirms something else that affirms going all the way back. And so when we're looking at critically, the first five books... Of the Bible, you know, from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and all that, that those were given by to God, to Moses on Mount Sinai. All the other books that were written, even coming to the New Testament, they have to affirm what was in the first five books. So they don't go outside. And that's, again, you've got all these different authors over over 3,000 plus years of history telling a single story. How do you do that? That's in itself is a miracle. You know, so that's why when he says Alpha and Omega, that's what he means. Definitely beginning, definite, end. And so when they were putting the Bible together and they had the, uh, the books, what they looked at was that, does it fit in here? Does it affirm uh, what's being said here. If it didn't affirm this, it was taken out. Uh, it, 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 everything has to affirm what's going on in here, even the uh, New Testament. And again, the New Testament is just the Old Testament going through the cross. In other words, this is what it means, this is what this means, now that Jesus has come, and we're now in the book of Acts, and where we're at. In other words, everything in the Bible goes through the cross because everything is pointing to the cross. Right? And so it just continues. 
that line on, one story. Any questions on that? Make that make sense? I know I went off target there a little bit, but uh, it's okay, I got time. <laughs> so, uh, where are we at here? So he dies, and then verse 24. But the Lord... The next one, next slide. Verse 24 to 25. But the word of the Lord continues to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. A couple things here. The word continues to grow. What's the word? It's the gospel. What is the gospel? It's how the church grows. Uh, uh, you know, is commanded by God. So the word continues to grow and to be multiplied. And the point here is, current events do not stop the movement of God. So even when you have chaos, even when you have a, a political regime that wants to stamp out the church, even when you have a king who is anti-Christ, it does not stop God. And this is what you have here. And it's going to be another couple hundred years before that persecution actually stops against the church. But by then, the church has, has now uh, gone all through Europe without being an official religion. Without being official. So, in other words, think about it this way. In, in the United States, if we were not an official religion, we would have to meet in people's homes and, uh, you know, underground, secretly. Kind of like what they did uh, in communist Europe. You know, and uh, if any of you were here, I don't know. I don't know if Bob was here that day, but I know we were on vacation, and I had a friend of mine, John Oros, pastor, come, who was part of the underground church in Romania, and he came and he taught on that, and he was literally uh, uh, thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, and uh, he was actually forced out of the country uh, uh, because he was a pastor. You know. So you have to be uh, uh, very mindful of these things. So, so regardless, regardless of of uh, of what's going on, of, of current events, the God will continue to be God. The church will continue to grow. So, for example, right now, you know, there's a lot of talk about the church being persecuted because we're not officially allowed to be open and all these other things. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean God's church is going to stop growing. It doesn't mean we lie down. We continue to do what we're going to do because we don't grow the church. God grows the church. We give the message, and from the message, you know, it's God who now grows the church. And so uh, uh, this is very important here because a lot of times people think, oh, oh no, this is, this is going to stop. It's like World War II, you know, when they were... Um, in Germany and stuff, where you had to, uh, uh, you had to have, you had to be part of the official church. You had to submit your sermons ahead of time, you know. And if you didn't, you know, you were kicked out and all this other stuff. And you think, okay, how's Christianity going to grow in a situation like that? Well, it continued to grow. It continued to flourish. It just went underground, you know. So even in a time like this, where they're saying, no, you can't meet, you can't do this. At some point, you have to take a stand and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. But we're going to continue to preach to God, preach the gospel, because the church will continue to grow. And the word will continue to be 
spread and multiplied, as it says there. And then in verse 25, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem uh, when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Uh, Verse 12, go back to verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark. This is the Mark of, of the gospel, according to Mark. He's a young boy. And the early church used to meet at his mom's house. And so historically, here's this young guy who's watching these seasoned uh, uh, guys, these, these apostles and stuff, uh, he's he's getting to sit there and he's listening to them strategize and talk about these things and you know he's seeing Peter you know be, being freed from jail you know x amount of times and and all this stuff and you know he's he's part of that and he he grows up in that and uh, he, he's a young guy here he's he's going to have a little splitting of ways with uh, with uh, with Paul uh, in a bit we're going we're gonna to talk about that maybe more next week. But realize he's 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 a young guy and he's learning how to be an apostle. Okay, difference between an apostle and a disciple is a disciple is a follower of. We're all disciples. An apostle is someone that establishes churches. Nowadays we call it the mission field or we call it church planting, but that's what an apostle does. An apostle establishes churches where there where there are no churches so it's it's called an, an, an apostolic work uh, once the church is established then the apostolic work ceases now it becomes a church uh, this is also evangelism you, you you plan a church that's an apostolic work you're, you're an apostle we're all disciples but apostles are people that establish churches so now here in verse 25, we're introduced to Mark. And so, right now, your key players are Peter, right? We heard a couple of weeks ago about Saul, who was a Jew, who was persecuting the church. Uh, we had Stephen, who becomes a deacon, uh, who's stoned, who gives a, a great Bible study, and he gets stoned for it. And, and Saul is there watching this. He's in hearty agreement with him being stoned. And he's, he's running around uh, carting Christians off to jail. He gets converted on the road to Damascus. Uh, Peter is now the head of the church. Peter's the one that gets the vision of that God, what God has made clean, uh, it will be clean. In other words, meaning that Gentiles were looked upon as unclean by Jews. And what the vision was all about, and, and Diego did a good job of explaining it, was that now the church is, is now the movement of God is not going to be just Jews only. It's going to be for all. So they were looked upon, Gentiles were looked upon as less than, as unclean because they didn't follow Levitical law. Uh, you know, they didn't do temple worship, all that stuff. And, you know, now, now the vision is what God has made clean is now clean. And this is going to become more evident, as Diego pointed out, I think it was last week, that now... The, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. They received baptism and Holy Spirit the same way the Jews did on the day of Pentecost. So God is now opening everything up to everyone. So any thoughts or questions on that before we go into chapter 13? Okay. So it's transition. Um, 
Again, Peter is the main focus here, but you're starting to hear a little bit more about this guy, Saul. Because, again, you know, Saul is... Um, a little background on Saul, who, who we also know as Paul. Saul is a trained theologian in Old Testament. He knew it backwards and forwards. There's some commentaries from that day that say, I don't know if it's true or not, but some of the commentaries say that 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 he could quote uh, he could quote the Bible, the Bible from memory, and he was trained by the top scholars and stuff. But he's persecuting the church. It's not until he stopped on the road to Damascus and he realizes he's persecuting Christ, he's persecuting God, and then he goes to that conversion. And so God takes him, and this is what's important, is that what's going to be happening now is that the leader of the church and the architect, in a sense, of the New Testament is a Jew's Jew. He he knew Old Testament scripture. He knew it backwards and forwards. And this is the guy that God chose to use uh, to do this. That's why early on when I was studying all this stuff, even before I went to seminary, all of a sudden I realized there was something to this Jewish thing. And if I was going to understand the Bible, I was going to have to understand Jewish culture, Jewish thought, Jewish uh, um, literature. Because the Bible is Jewish literature, and it's written in, in, the, in that style of, of Jewish literature. So you have to understand that in, to better be able to understand what God is doing in the manners and customs and stuff like that. And then when you put Christ in all that, then the New Testament just really opens up. It just really pops. The New Testament without the Old Testament uh, will shine, but it won't shine the way it does when, when, when you have the background of the Old Testament behind it, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, it just, just, it's amazing. So, we'll go to the next one. 13, chapter 13. Now, they were at Antioch. Antioch is the second church that was actually formally formed. There were disciples and people moving up into into Asia Minor, which is Turkey and, and Greece area, and over in Cyprus. They were slowly working their way up. But the second official church was Antioch, and Diego pointed that out last week. And one of the things to remember about that church is it's multicultural. Antioch is a port city. And when you had a port city, um, you have people from all different nations, all different uh, stripes were, were, were going in and out of that port. And so the people that lived there were multicultural, as opposed to when you were more inland, it tended to be more just one type of people because they weren't, they didn't intermingle with other people uh, the, the, way, the way port cities did. So Antioch is a port city, and it is... Uh, it is... Uh, um, multicultural and uh, a couple of you probably heard this story before but I'm going to tell it again <laughs> that when I was in seminary um, I think I was it was one of my first or second classes in my doctorate program I was one of the first guys in class and because I, I used to get there early and I was like one of the first ones in the class and so I'm sitting there by myself 
and there's a lot of classrooms and there's a long hall like this, but it's it's a linoleum floor. And I hear this flop, flop, flop coming down the hall. And I'm wondering, what, what is that? You know, it's it's not the it's a it's a flip flop flap coming down the hall. And coming around the corner is this guy dressed in a look like a monk's deal type with a with a with a rope. And he says he says uh can't remember his name right now. I think his I think his name was Andrew, Brother Andrew. Yeah, I think it was Andrew. And he goes, Hi, I'm I'm Brother and Andrew. I'm from the church in Antioch. This guy was a pastor at that very same church that was established by these people. And they still taught in Greek. And uh, he was from over here, but he went over there and he, he learned uh, classical Greek. They, they do their sermons in Greek. They do all that stuff. And he's dressed in the traditional garb. Of, of of that period, you know, and he goes, you know, I am Brother Andrew from the church in Antioch, and yeah, yeah, okay. And then he sits down and opens up his laptop, <laughs> which I thought was just crazy, because here he is with all this traditional stuff, but he's got his laptop, you know. But that was one of the things that was interesting about seminary going to Fuller, because it was a non-denominational seminary, and so you got people from all over the world. You got Mennonites, you know. We, I remember we had this one guy. Uh, he was from Africa. He was from some tribe in Africa, and I forget where it is right now. And I was talking to him one day. We, we were taking a break, and I said, "Where are you from?" And he said where he was from. And I and I said, "I said, what classes are you taking this year?" And normally a full load is three classes. That's that's a lot. And he said, and he told me, and I said, you're taking five classes? You know? And he was taking Hebrew and Greek at the same time. Which is like suicide. That's just, And anyway, and I go, why are you taking five classes? And he said, I wish I could remember the, the village he was from. He said, because the people in my village have all sacrificed. So I could be here. And so he said, they all collected money so he could go to seminary. And he said, I don't want to waste their money. So he, he was doing a, a three-year course in under two years. And then he was going to go back and now be the pastor of that village. Diego. So you said that he didn't want to waste money? Yeah. But is that to Fuller? <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm joking, I'm joking. He went to Biola, so this is... I'm joking, I'm joking. No, but yeah, no, no that's, that's... crazy. But, from the other side of the world, he chose Fuller. I was like, I'm going to stop it. That's right true. Touche, touche. I mean, he wasn't that far from Biola, but he chose Fuller. Anyway. Uh, but, but... But the point was, it was so interesting to be able to sit there and talk to people like that, you know, or Mennonite. Uh, a Mennonite, you know, they are pacifistic to a point that they will not raise arms, they won't fight for anything. And, you know, I, I, I can't wrap my brain around that. If somebody comes in here and they're going to threaten my daughter, you go, you know, you know what we're going to do. You know, I'm, I'm going to say, Anderson, get him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, I'm, 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 I'm going to send the Marine first, you know. I'll pray for you, brother. 
And, uh, but you know, you know, you know what I mean? That, that, you know, if someone threatens your family, you're going to do whatever it is you can to, to do that. They won't do that. They're so pacifistic. And I just remember, you know, talking to them and it was like, okay, I understand how you get there. It's just, I, I can't do that. I can appreciate that you're willing to look at a fellow human being that way that under no circumstances would you do harm. You know, I, I could appreciate that. But, you know, in terms of your own private family, it's just, I had a hard time with that, you know. You know, there was uh, uh, just all kinds of different people from different places, and, and you got to hear their stories. And some of, the, some, of the, some of the professors were like that. You got to hear their stories, and it was just... It was just super amazing. How did I get on this rabbit trail? Oh, Antioch. It was a multicultural <laughs> church. So, anyway, yeah, Brother Andrew. So now, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. Now they were in Antioch, which is a second church. In the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called uh, Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. Uh, those, are, those are Africans, by the way. Cyrene is in, is in Africa. In Niger, if you look at that and you break it down in Greek, it means a man of black. That's what that means. Um, let's see. Uh, Lucius Cyrene, uh, many in, in who had brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So right there, you've got a mix of people in in Antioch. You know, it's, it's just a multi multicultural, multi-plot of, 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 of humanity there. Uh, let's see, verse 2. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Um, Barnabas is another one that uh, those names that you you hear of quite a bit. You know, Peter, Paul... Philip, uh, Barnabas. Barnabas is a major player right now. He's the one that kind of rescues Paul, or Saul as he's known at that time. He's the one that sees the value in Saul. He's the one that uh, speaks out for Saul in front of the church in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem didn't want anything to do with him because he was persecuting the church. But it's Barnabas who comes alongside of him and says, you know, look at I've seen him. I've, I've seen the, the fruit of what he's doing, and I, I I can attest that he is a Christian. I can attest that he is uh, he is saved. Uh, so they're sent, and Barnabas, by the way, some people think he's the one who wrote Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is not identified by an author. Paul, in all of Paul's letters, he identifies himself uh, as the author, and Hebrews is written in a little bit different style. But literary criticism, a lot of people think, a lot of scholars think, Barnabas may have been the author of Hebrews because it was very Jewish in nature. And so you had to have a a strong Jewish believer. And this is who Barnabas was. He was a strong Jewish believer. So they think Barnabas may have been the one who wrote uh, uh, Hebrews. So, So they're sent... Now, verse 4 and 5. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Who sends us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So no, we, we don't send ourselves. The Holy Spirit does it, you know. And uh, um, 
let me stop right there because I'm going to have some time. How does the Holy Spirit send you? Anybody have any first hand? What? Say it. No? How are you sent by the Holy Spirit? Huh? Okay. How does that happen? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not looking for a particular right answer. I'm looking for an experience. I'm looking for. You know, okay. Uh, why do you? Why do you do? The things that you do for God. Is it your idea? Whose idea is it? His idea. God's idea, right? And so there's something going on there, supernatural, that calls you to do that. You're not here tonight because there's nothing good on TV on Wednesday nights. You're here because God called you here. Or if you're listening on podcasts, because God called you, right? So God calls you to the cross, right? And it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us, right, when we evangelize? calls us to the cross, and then he does what? Sends us from the cross. So he's sending them out on the mission field. Uh, it's one of those things that we can talk about quite a bit, and maybe let's think about it in the weeks to come. You know, Think about it and maybe bring your story of, of, of how you felt God has led you to do things. Uh, you know, Just personal experience. Uh, anything that I've ever done for God or anything I've ever done in the church, whether it would be um, my my early ministry experiences or early Bible study teaching or associate pastor or whatever, me a pastor, I always saw myself doing it before I ever did it. And even before I was even positioned to do it. And then I had this feeling on the inside that I'm supposed to do it and then along the way, I would have people who would now ask me to do it. Or, help me. You know, uh, I had a pastor one time who told me, and this is how I went to seminary. He, he said, I forget his exact words, but he said something about the fact, he says, you have to take your gift to seminary. And I wanted, I wanted to go to seminary, but I just didn't think it was possible. And when he said that, then that opened up the whole realm of the possibility. And then he even said, I think I can get you a partial scholarship. So now the door's open, and it's up to me to walk through it. You know, so we can talk about that more, but just kind of think about it. You know, it's just the Holy Spirit sent them. We all, we all have Holy Spirit stories, you know, and I think at some point, we need to validate that for other people because sometimes it's it's they're they're feeling that and it frees them up to now begin to 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 walk in what God is showing them the possibility and so for me I God has always shown me a window of opportunity in other words looking to see what it looks like and then He's opened the door but it's my responsibility to walk through the door so God sets all that up. But my responsibility is to answer the call, walk through the door. So, questions on that? Comment? 
just kind of food for thought there. Verse 4 again. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to uh, Seussia, and from there sailed to Cyprus. And when they had reached uh, Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. John is the helper. He's the, he's the young guy. He's probably carrying the bags. He's probably doing, he's setting up the chairs or whatever it is. But he's learning, right? He's learning how to be, uh, uh, this is discipleship training. He's, he's learning how to be an evangelist. And this is the first missionary journey of Paul. Now I'll show you something here. In this. Yay! Wait, what happened? I lost it. There, yay! So you see it? Okay, there's Antioch. And they go over here to, to Cyprus. This is where this first missionary journey begins. Right here on the Isle of Cyprus. This is, it's, it's Asia and Bactia and Cappadocia and all that. This is Turkey and Greece today, up, up and over in here. But Paul's missionary journeys, and this is important because what we're going to be talking about now is the missionary journeys. And Paul's missionary journeys, he takes three of them, and roughly he goes kind of here in his first one, and then he'll take another one that goes a little farther, and then he'll take one that goes even farther. And then eventually, when we end the book of Acts, he's over in, uh, in Rome. But this is the mission field here. It's uh, all of this up in here. Okay, this work. But this is where all of the, uh, uh, all the churches are at in here. So when you read about uh, Ephesus and Galatians and uh, Thessalonica and all that stuff, that's all, all in here. And so Paul's missionary journey, what he's doing is, He's going and he's meeting and teaching those that are gathering in home churches. And he's now uh, teaching them. In some places he stays on. Sometimes for a few weeks, sometimes for a year or more. He stays there and he teaches them. And then uh, Barnabas might stay there. Uh, Timothy might go. Uh, this, is, this is how the early church starts. So this, right where we're reading right now, and this is a transition point, because now the first missionary journey begins. And so, Judea, Jerusalem is down here. He's been up here in Antioch for a while, and now he's sailing off, because again, the Antioch is port city. He's going over here, and he's ministering over here, and then he's going to go over to the mainland, up over there. And uh, so, yeah. Miss uh, Athens, Greece down there. Philippi is up here. Philippians. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what I did. Uh, so, let's do that right there. So, um, and when they had reached to Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. In the beginning, what they did was they would always go to the synagogues. They would go to the Jews, and it's according to Scripture, to the Jew first. But this is going to be changing real soon. 
because soon now they're going to be going to the Gentiles because all those nations up there, the Jews become scattered up there later on, but those are mostly Gentiles up there, Greeks, people that are trained in the, in the Greek language and all of that. So, But this is the beginning right here for Paul's missionary journey. Sailing. And this is later on, you're going to find out, you know, Paul's shipwrecked, you know, he has the rough seas and all kinds of stuff going on when he's, he's taking all these trips. It's not, it's not easy uh, 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 sailing all the time. And, and look, look at the difference. See, the reason he comes over here and goes here is it's easier and quicker to get up here than if he had to walk all the way through here and go through all of that like that. He can get there easier by ship. To get up over there, and then later on, we'll go up over this way and go up through there. So, uh, verse 16, close with this part. No, 6 to 16. Is that what I said? 6 to 13. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Pamphos, they found a certain magician a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. Bar means son of. It's a Hebrew. Bar means son of. Bat means daughter of. So when you have a bar mitzvah, it means a son is doing a good deed. And a bar mitzvah is a Jewish boy coming of age, and he's remembering scripture, he has remember Hebrew and all kinds of stuff, and do a presentation, so in other words, a son is doing a good deed. And then they have a bat's mitzvah, which you don't hear too much about. That's when a girl does the same, same thing. But in an orthodox synagogue, it would just be the boys. So bar means son of Jesus. So here you have this Jewish guy who's a false prophet calling himself son of Jesus. Okay? So right from the beginning, you know, the church has been plagued with those that claim to be Christ and, and all this other stuff, you know, you're, you have it today, you know, you have those cults that come down, and you know, the leader is always, claims to be Jesus. Verse 7, it says, who was with the proconsul, a Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, <laughs> as opposed to the Jewish false prophet, who probably wasn't intelligent, this man summoned Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. Now notice, a man of intelligence, he wants to he wants to hear what they have to say. So this guy sounds to me like is someone that is saying, okay, this Bar Jesus guy is saying something. You, you know, Paul and Barnabas are saying something. Come here, I I I, I want to examine this for myself. Talk to me, show me. You know, uh, go the extra mile there. But uh, Elamas. The magician, for thus was his name translated. He was also named as as Elamas. Um, his name translated means can be translated a couple different ways. It can mean godly wisdom. That's probably the closest. Now here's a guy who's known as Bar Jesus, son of Jesus, uh, whose other name is Godly Wisdom. So when you when you break the name in half there, well I don't have it up there, but E L, whenever you see that E L is always God L. So when you when you're reading, especially in the Old Testament, and someone names starts with E L, that's God. 
that's uh, L. Uh, uh, and then the back part of that, Elamas uh, uh, is wise. So it's godly wisdom. Basically, is that what means translated? With a capital G, God? Yes. Yeah, Eli. Uh, you know, as in El Shaddai. Uh, but Elamas, a magician, for thus his name was translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So, in other words, this guy, uh, smoke and mirrors, he was trying to keep them away from hearing the truth, right? He's, he's probably had sway with these people for quite a while. And it's it's kind of like uh, I I know this this might be a lousy a lousy uh, reference, but I don't know if you ever seen the movie Annie Hall, the Woody Allen movie. And years ago I saw it, and the only part that I really remember out of this movie that really struck me as really funny was that he's standing in line to see a movie with his date, and he's. The guy next to him is talking about Socrates and all these different things and yada, yada, yada. And, and Woody Allen says to the guy, no, that's not what he said. He said such and such. And the other guy is now refuting him. And he's going back and he's saying, you know, it says this and it says that. And then Woody says, wait a minute. And he goes off camera and he comes back and he brings the actual guy who would be like 600 years old and says, tell him, tell him, tell him the truth. And so the guy tells him, you know, what he says, see, you were full of it. But the point here is that, is that what this guy is doing is he's got one guy telling him one thing and what this man of intelligence is doing, he said, okay, but let's, let's bring the other guy. Let's get the truth here. We're going to find out. But what this guy was trying to do, he was trying to keep the truth from coming in. And so fast forward today, what's going on? They don't want the church to say anything because they don't want the church what? speaking the truth, coming in. So they'll do whatever they can to try and keep the truth from coming in. See? So, um, verse 9, But Saul, who was known as Paul, by the way, he's going to, pretty soon we're just going to call him Paul. Many people that were, especially Jews, that were trained in uh, Greek, um, they, they, were, they were called Hellenistic, as in Helen of Troy, in other words, they were trained under Greek culture. They were Hellenistic. They would have a Greek name, and then they would have their Jewish name. And so that's the, the, the Saul and Paul. So when it says, uh, Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him. Now this is kind of like, you know, when uh, when um, Peter and John were going up into the temple after the day of Pentecost, and the, and the, and the man that was uh, uh, begging for alms, was there and it says they fixed their gaze on him, you know, locked eyes with this guy. Something was about to happen. It says he fixed his gaze upon him and said, "You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord?" Now this is interesting. He says, "You make crooked the straight ways of the Lord." When Paul had an encounter on the road to Damascus. He went to Damascus and he was placed in a house where? Street called Straight. Street called Straight. And now he's saying here, 
He says, you're full of deceit, fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Paul learned the lesson. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. Who was blinded by God? Paul. Right? And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now notice, he doesn't say the teaching of Paul or Barnabas or somebody else. Teaching of the Lord. And this is what good preaching and teaching should do. It's not the word according to Joe whoever or Pastor whoever. It's God. It's the Lord. The emphasis is on God, what God is doing. Being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Pathos and came to Turgia in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So here you have the first missionary journey. They go from here to down over here. And once they come up in here, John says, I've had enough. He returns, Mark, John Mark, he returns back over here and they continue on. Don't forget, uh, he's a young guy and he's, he's learning. Could have been homesick. Who knows what was going on? But this right now, what we're going to be, we're going to stop here and we're going to pick it up next week because Paul uh, begins a couple sermons here, which we're going to get into next week. But this is now, it's a transition time because now the focus, the leader of the church is going to focus, is going to move away from Peter to Paul. And now Paul is going to be the one. Uh, that influences uh, all the writers in all the uh, um, uh, the New Testament documents because he's going to be the the teacher of the church. He's going to be the dominant uh, the dominant force in all humility. You know, Paul. And again, when, when we're going through this and we're studying Paul, you know, Paul could have really. Um, he was, he was like the Moses or the David of his day. But, you know, he did everything and kept everything in all humility. And he, did, he didn't, he didn't uh, pump himself up. He didn't uh, um, look for, you know, to be worshipped and all that other stuff because of his Damascus Road experience, you know, and uh, brought to, you know, uh, street, uh, straight, uh, he, he, he learned the errors of his ways. But the point here is that now Christianity is moving away from Jerusalem and is going up into the lower part of uh, Europe. And eventually it's going to go up there and then it will also come down over here into uh, Europe. But it doesn't, I mean, down into Africa. It doesn't become real prominent down here for a couple hundred years. It becomes more prominent up here. Because this is where the major commerce is. This is the Roman Empire. Uh, this is where people are at. This is where it's easier for the church to uh, go and infiltrate, especially the farther inland you go, because they're away from uh, a lot of the heavy-handed uh, rulers of Rome. Ephesus is right here, port city. Um, a lot of problems in Ephesus. Because whenever you're in a port city, 
you have people from all different places. Corinth, right there, where Corinthians is, Port City. You have all kinds of different people, and they bring in their deities, their gods, their their whatever. Um, last thing I'm going to say, I remember being a, a young guy going down to uh, Long Beach when I was a teenager. Long Beach used to be a port of call. And you'd have sailors from everywhere. And we used to go down there just to watch the fights. <laughs> Seriously, that's what we would do. We would go to the pike just to watch the fights because you had sailors who'd been on a ship for six months or whatever, and now they get off the ship and they go straight into these bars and they get crazy drunk and they were whatever. But the point here was you would, Long Beach, you would, you, you would walk down Ocean Boulevard or something and you would see people from all over. You would see these sailors in their different garb and their different, you know, it was a real port city. So, you know, that's good for trade and commerce, but it also brings a lot of other things with it. You know, it brings their types of worship and stuff and their gods. And, and so the church had to protect itself of that. And that becomes part of the problem for the early church is that they have to fight some of the outside influences that were around them. Because think about it. You're establishing a church where there is no other church in the middle of all this pagan, heathen, uh, uh, sadistic stuff that's going on all around you. And that stuff, if you're not careful, can creep into the church. And so that's why the letters were written. Uh, and, and that's where they always sent disciples and, and apostles to make sure they had strong teaching and stuff there. So we end right there. The first missionary trip of, of Paul is just beginning, and next week we're going to get into his sermons. So, any thoughts or questions? On that, good. Praise God. Okay, let me close in prayer. Oh, by the way, uh, Antioch is the beginning and the end of all the action. In other words, the going and coming from Antioch, because that's the second church that was established. And it was, it was established up higher, so a lot of people are going in and out from that. They're not going from the church in Jerusalem, and the reason is the church in Jerusalem is being persecuted, and they're, they're, they're having to really stay undercover quite a bit. So the church in Antioch becomes more influential. The word spreading quickly. Uh, the way Herod died should be a warning to all those that proclaim themselves to be above God, which is extremely important, even in this day and age. People want to proclaim themselves to be above God. We all face judgment. And here, Peter won't be mentioned again until chapter 15. And then when he does, it's in conflict with Paul. So that's important. So that's where we're going. Peter won't be mentioned again until chapter 15. But it doesn't mean that Peter is now kicked to the curb. It means now that Paul is taking over uh, the missionary work uh, to the Gentiles. And we're going to get into that whole dynamic there. So let's close with prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, we just again thank you for the word of God, which is so important and so powerful and so sharp and so strong and so true. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what it is that you have for us, Lord. That you help us individually, Lord, and grow in our faith in our understanding of Christ and the understanding of the church. Lord, and corporately uh, that we understand uh, what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ, how we're formed, what we should be doing, how to preach the gospel, how to reach the lost. 
uh, how to be led by the Holy Spirit, uh, to learn the lessons, Lord, that the early church learned, and the lessons that the early church faced. So, Father, in all of this, we just thank you and uh, keep us all safe, strong, healthy, Lord, and we just give you all the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, praise God. See you Sunday. Remember, you can't come to church on Sunday. Uh, wear a face mask with social distance, but we can all worship together on Sunday. Amen. Praise Amen. God. See you soon.